Hi, everybody. This is Corey. Just wanted to say a little quick note before this episode starts. Uh, this week, we decided to try a new weird gimmick to talk about this movie because we were in um, some unique circumstances with the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. So there's a point that we insist needs to happen in real time. There's um, a time limit in place for reasons that will become clear. And um, to keep the integrity of that, I decided to not make any edits during that point to keep the block the time that it, we said it was. The problem being that Discord or OBS or something chewed up some of Liam's audio while we were trying to do that. So what that means is there's going to be points during a chunk of the episode where things are getting cut weird or sound like he's cutting out. And for the integrity of the bit, I decided to keep that in. I don't know if we'll do this much going forward, so it may not be a recurring problem, but it's something to keep in mind. And with that out of the way... Uh, come on this weird Flintstones journey with us where we'll also talk about a whole bunch of other shit. You believe me. So uh, enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome back to They Made Another One, where each week we study an often forgotten installment in a franchise and see how it holds up all on its own. I'm one of your hosts, Corey. And I'm your other host, Liam. And this week, we decided that we were on the horror train for a while, and it yielded what I'll describe as mixed results. So we thought that maybe we would pivot. We don't do a lot of comedy on this show, probably because of the risk you take with comedy is like, if the comedy's bad, it's really bad. Um, but we took that risk for our beautiful listeners anyway. So this week, we are discussing The Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. Um, which is directed by Brian Levant. And for anybody who doesn't know, Brian Levant is basically the patron saint of this podcast. He did Problem Child 2, Problem Child 3, Jingle All the Way... No, did he do the sequel to that? No, A Christmas Story 2, sorry. Snow Dogs, a Scooby-Doo movie, and then another Scooby-Doo movie. This is a dude who does sequels to franchises and we'll probably talk about him again. Um, written by Deborah Kaplan, Harry Elfont, and then Jim Cash and Jack Epps Jr. took a run at it. Uh, music by David Newman, based on the classic Hanna-Barbera characters, starring Mark Addy, Stephen Baldwin, Kristen Johnston, Jane Krakowski, Joan Collins, Thomas Gibson, and Alan Cumming. Now that that's all out of the way, um, Liam, do you have, like, strong Flintstones feelings? No, not strong Flintstone feelings. I mean... I like them uh, about as much as most people who just like who also don't have strong Flintstones feelings, which is just like they're around when you're a kid. And so you just like, you know what they are and they're they're kind of cool. It's like the dude from the cereal box and the dude from the vitamins. Um, yeah. In I, these, yeah. What's that? I was going to say, I think the biggest impact the Flintstones had on me was in vitamin form. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's kind of interesting. I think we are likely the last generation that will have been directly uh, interacting with the Flintstones in their purest form because Corey and I are born 96, 97. And so we still got to live a bit of our life with just like cable TV and sort of the stuff your parents put on and what, what's ever on, you watch it. Whereas I think, you know, my nephews who are born about five, 10 years after me, um, they have stuff streaming, you know, Netflix. And I don't think my nephews are going to know what the Flintstones are to them. It is just going to be the dudes from the vitamin. That's a, that's an interesting thing to consider. And I'm realizing that my only big Flintstones memories are the vitamins because the vitamins were like a weirdly an exciting thing to get when you're a kid. Cause your brain basically considers it candy cause kids are dumb. And, um, the other very vivid Flintstones experience I have is, a uh, in, Oh boy, what year was this? I don't remember what year it was, but there was a year where my mom, my sister, and I took a trip to Florida, and um, I very vividly remember that we were staying in a hotel, but we had like, we had gone to a grocery store, and one of the things that we got was like cocoa pebbles, yeah, which have Barney, Barney on the box, and I remember trying that cereal and just absolutely fucking hating it <laughs> and just it being wow. the worst thing so my two very vivid flintstones memories are being in florida and eating bad cereal and also eating vitamins <laughs> <laughs> all right well uh maybe we we were actually the first generation to not experience well, like, i saw the because... cartoon but it's like do i have strong memories of it 
not really. Yeah, yeah, and, I, and I'm the same way. In the last few years, I've probably seen more Flintstones than I ever did when I was a kid because a local theater here in our city does this thing about two or three uh, times a year where you pay a flat rate and then you go in and you watch Saturday morning cartoons that have been curated in this specific block and like pulled off VHS tapes and they give you a bunch of cereal to eat and uh, they often play Flintstone stuff there and other Hanna-Barbera shows. And so I've seen them pretty recently. I've got an appreciation for them so much so that I wrote an essay in my last year of university all about Hanna-Barbera cartoons. And so through that, I've, uh, I've read a lot about the cartoon and the techniques and stuff behind it. But I actually don't have, you know, that much time where I've just sat down and watched a bunch of Flintstones for fun. So right. the movie is, uh, it's, it's, it, it has the, the opportunity to work on me because the material isn't, uh, you know, I'm not like in a reverence of it. It can kind of do whatever it wants and, and I won't consider it a slight against the Flintstones. In fact, until I was like 17, I thought it was Flintstone. So did I, I didn't know that. Yeah. But Flint is the rock bit, I guess, other than the word stones. I don't know. Yeah. Real quick, we may as well just do it. Uh, let's give that shout out a name. That is the Mayfair Theater in Ottawa. So if you're ever in our neck of the woods, don't try to find us. Don't try to find Neil. He doesn't live here. But try to find that theater. It's true. Yeah, check them out. They do good stuff. And um, yeah, so I actually want to ask a little bit about... so. A, do you have a favorite Hanna-Barbera cartoon then? And B, what did you learn in writing that paper that might be interesting? Because I didn't know you did that, so now I'm just curious. My favorite uh, Hanna-Barbera cartoon is uh, probably Scooby-Doo, dude. I mean, like that's that's the only one of all their cartoons that I was actually really into as a kid and I could still get down with now. And that's probably because I like spooky stuff. I like Halloween-y stuff. And so Scooby-Doo is, uh, is my Flintstones. You know, I actually got into it as a kid. But they have a lot of other fun characters um, here and there. It's just what I most learned about Hanna-Barbera is that they were just a machine, dude. Mm -hmm. Like they were, yeah, they were trying to get cartoons done, to get on TV. And while I wouldn't say that they were soulless, they were definitely trying to do a lot with very little. Um, so the animation techniques, you know, that have become classic now where like Fred Flintstone is running past the same background over and over again and and his legs are moving like in the same three frames. That stuff isn't because it looks funny. It's just because they were cranking these things yeah. out and trying to get them out as fast as possible. And so it's a really interesting thing to research because there's so much of it. And it's a really interesting timeline to watch their peak where they just had every cartoon like on the Saturday morning block in the late 60s. And then they start to drop off and then Flintstone saves them and they go down again and <laughs> Jetson saves them and then they go down again. And now we're at the point where they're have a production credit on the Flintstones too. And, and in today, maybe they're even coming back. You know, I've heard that there's going to be a Hanna-Barbera cinematic universe. That's going to be started with a new Scooby-Doo movie. So we'll see what happens, but uh, it's, it's an interesting. Is that, part with, of is that, culture. is that with that movie Scoob? Is that what that is? That is yes. Okay. I like that art style enough to take my fuck off back, but I do think that's a little silly because it's like, dude, I feel like people got a little bit too like cinematic universe horny and then decided that everything needed one. Um, yeah. And I get that because making money is probably cool if you're a businessman, but like, God damn, dude, like I don't need to see a cool Jetsons update. We're fine. Like, you know? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm surprised there haven't been more Hanna Barbera big adaptations, and I think it honestly might have been Flintstones that killed it, dude, in like '94, and then it takes six years for this one yeah, to come out. Flintstones we didn't, we didn't was get a not, movie. Flintstones was not well received, mm -hmm. um, and this wasn't either. <laughs> so, um, I think that they kind of took their swing and uh, struck out a little bit on that. So they probably just like. I don't know, cashed out when it was clear that the evil casino owner had flipped the giant comical switch from win to lose. And um, yeah. they decided that they were done. But um, 
to get a little bit more into the movie, I want to explain the movie, Liam, and then I'm going to I'm going to propose something which I just told you about off air. But um, I have an idea for how I think we can do this podcast. So this movie okay. is a prequel to the original Flintstones live action movie where none of the actors come back, uh, which is always a great sign. And it's basically like, how did Fred and Wilma and then Barney and Betty get together? And the answer is uh, transcending class struggles and a single trip to a fast food restaurant and beating a megalomaniacal casino owner at his own game is the answer, it turns out. And winning a dog at a carnival, which feels fucked up to me, because then he says that they typically only live a week, as if it's like some kind of goldfish, but it's like a full-on dog-behaving dinosaur, and that was gross. But that's literally it. That's the whole movie. I don't know what else to say. It's how did these people get together. It's on the framework of the great gazoo alien boy uh, needing to study Earth mating habits because he's too much of a dumb shithead to do anything else. And that's it. That's the whole thing. And it's got this big, like, 2000s energy that all these movies had, like this and, like, fucking Looney Tunes back in action and all these movies Oof. where... I love Looney Tunes that, back in action. I love that movie. That, that movie that, fucking that, rules. Yeah, and that movie, like, killed the Looney Tunes. And I don't know why. You're telling and me I that, don't know why. You're telling me that Yosemite Sam drove Jeff Gordon's NASCAR and people didn't line up around the fucking block to see that movie? And Brendan Fraser was there. It's crazy. Peak Brendan Fraser was there. It's true. So, like space. I don't understand how Space Jam was huge and made so much. And Looney Tunes back in action didn't pull it off. I, I think, think they're. I think Space Jam was huge because everyone was psyched on Michael Jordan. Yeah. Because didn't that come out in the midst or immediately after uh, the Chicago Bulls were like kings of basketball for several straight years? It's true, but but Looney Tunes back in action came off after The Mummy. Did it also come after The Mummy 2, though? You might have a point there. That's my concern. But anyway, what that movie has that this movie has is this really, like, fucking zany sensibility where it's like things have goofy cartoon sound effects, things happen within the rules of cartoon logic, um, the plot dressing's pretty thin, and it's got like weird close-ups with wide camera angles and weird other angles. And um, it's just got this like goofy, silly, bit-focused kind of sensibility. And I think that works with the Looney Tunes because A, they're so recognizable. And B, Roger Rabbit style, they were still cartoons. So you're like, okay, I get it. And this movie has a lot of digital effects that look bad because it was the year 2000. But there's a weird mix of, like, digital dinosaurs and, like, claymation, I think. Um, and it looks mostly bad and weird. So I think it loses it a bit there. And then also it being all live action just with, like, surreal, goofy sets where everything is, like, big and made of rocks and colorful doesn't connect in the same way that lets that cartoon logic work. And also the jokes should be funny and the performances should be good, uh, which this movie does not really have. Um Whereas I think that Looney Tunes Back in Action, a movie I have not seen in many years, probably does. I'm going to trust my memory on that one. Um, but Liam, I have, a, I have a suggestion. Yeah. So a little, I had this idea earlier, but then you just gave me a great way to tie this in. So this episode will come out on April 22nd. And the 20th anniversary of this movie is six days later on April 28th. And on the one hand, are we the only podcast celebrating the 20th anniversary of the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas? Almost certainly. But I don't know about you. We talked a little bit while I was watching this movie. Yeah, a little bit. We, we've been doing really good at not breaking yeah. the seal lately. Yeah. But on this one, we just, we just couldn't help it. We, guys. Help we it. haven't seen each other in a few, in a few months here because of quarantine. We needed some interaction. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit aware of how Corey feels about this one. Yeah, and I feel like I can assume how Liam feels about this one um, just based on our previous experience. Um, this is a long way of me saying, in honor of the 20th anniversary of this film, what if I set a timer and we only talked about it for 20 minutes and then we just talked about something else for the rest of the podcast? Yeah, I'm down. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Okay, so um, I want everybody to know that I'm going to set a timer 
so I have my phone in my hand right now, and I'm going to go to, like, my clock app, and I'm going to go timer, 20 minutes, and I'm going to see what's going to go off when the timer goes off. Um, when the timer goes off, we're going to hear this sound. We are going to hear... Okay, so that means... That means we have to stop talking about the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas. So I'm going to put my phone next to the microphone and um, I'm going to count us in and then we're going to do what we normally do and then the timer is going to go off and we're going to do something else. Okay, in real time. In this real is... time. So yeah. everybody set your watches. We got to sync our watches like like it's fucking a spy movie. And um, so here we go. Three, two, one, go. Okay, so what the fuck happened? I mean, uh, not a whole lot. Far less than I thought was going to happen, okay? This movie starts off what I would consider really, if not strong, spicy. It starts off kind of spicy. So we get a main logo that's altered. It says Universe Shell, and, like, it's a dumb rock Which is pun. not a joke, just to be clear. <laughs> yeah, totally. Like, I don't... But, but the thing is, uh, it's, like, kind of clever, and it shows a sort of... Um, self-reflexivity yeah. in, in altering the logo. I love when movies mess with that main logo. You know, like Scott Pilgrim, the Harry mm -hmm. Potter movies, like the Warner Brother logo gets darker and darker. I love that shit. So I this movie started and I was like, hey, maybe this isn't going to play it as straight as I thought it was going to. You know, it's still a PG yeah. movie. Wait, that what, is, hopefully... what does play it straight mean? Does that imply that you didn't think it was going to be jokes or you just didn't think it was going to be as like goofy and colorful? uh goofy and colorful so i i absolutely thought there were going to be jokes i just i didn't want this movie to be a straight up live action cartoon because i think that cartoons are cartoons for a reason and once you make it live action but don't bother to change anything to make it fun um and like kind of self-aware at how ridiculous you're doing is it becomes creepy so i've mentioned oh, that I brady the... bunch movie on the podcast right. before yeah. And from what I've seen of that movie, it it's adapting something like from the 60s that is like really bright and pleasant. And it realizes that that's not really going to work as a mainstream movie in the 90s. And so it is a bit more wink and nod about what it's doing while still the characteristics of what made the show popular in the first place. And I would have liked for this movie to have that because I had already seen the original Flintstones movie from 1994 and I knew that playing it straight, which means just doing a cartoon with actual people wasn't going to work. Okay, so I have a scene in mind that perfectly illustrates why the movie doesn't work based on the criteria you just gave. Okay. Um, it's the bowling scene. Yep. Um... So what happens is they're at a carnival and this is the first date and they've swapped dates. So now Fred is with Wilma and Wilma is just psyched on bowling. She's at this shitty birthday party um, with all of her shitty rich friends. And she says that she wants to drive into bedrock and go bowling. And then everybody laughs at her because her whole thing is like she hates being rich because she thinks rich people suck. And don't get it twisted. She's right. But um, that doesn't make her an interesting character just because she recognizes that like the rich look down on the poor in a way that's unfair. So she just wants to go throw a bowl bowling ball at some pins. And uh, apparently Fred and Barney go bowling all the time. I don't remember that in the show, but whatever. And he's got this great technique and he's doing this weird tippy toes thing that's got like silly doo -doo 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 sound effects. And um, he throws a cool spare and um, everybody gets excited for the spare. And Wilma's like, I want to learn to bowl. So then... What happens next is he does that, like, give me your hand. I'm going to show you how to bowl. But, like, he grabs her hand and, like, says, like, now put your fingers in here. Okay. And then he has the ball. And then he puts his arm or his hand, like, directly around her waist and, like, saddles up behind her. And they both tiptoe together. And that sound effect's happening. And it's in slow motion. And that's all fine if they're not real human beings. Right? But yeah. the exact thing that you're saying is that it gets creepy and weird when it's real people acting poorly accompanied by things that typically accompany a cartoon. And that's the entire movie. 
That's totally, the entire totally. movie, except most of it's not as interesting as that scene. Because what it kind of boils down to is a very easily solved series of misunderstandings between people who are getting to know each other and a plot by a rich guy whose last name is literally actually Rockefeller to try to get Wilma's fortune because he owes mob debt and runs casinos. And then they eventually solve that problem. I'm going to be honest with everybody. I didn't watch the last like eight minutes of this movie. I just kind of clicked through it. So I know they solved it. And then there's some song numbers and I don't really know what happened. In the last half hour, I started like clicking through scenes instead of watching them. Not because it was the worst thing I've ever seen, but it just got so like, I know what's happening that I wanted the movie to get to the point and it just refused. And it's another case of like an hour and 25 minutes feeling like the longest experience of my life. But go ahead and elaborate a bit on the uh, on like the cartoon accompaniment, we can call it. It sounded like you had something else to put in. Yeah, so it's just when you get scenes like, like they feel unintentionally creepy or weird because there's something to be said about taking a cartoon, doing it, and, and while you're doing that, like realizing that it's going to come across and so like making that the bit i know that james gunn's scooby-doo script originally was like a much more hard it might have even been an r-rated movie because he just wanted to um sort of exploit and uh and hone in on things in the original show that are going to be pronounced when you have a good looking fred and like a good looking daphne and all these young adults hanging out in a van together solving mysteries like when you have real people it's just there's some innocence lost and so if you don't address those things then it's gonna come across as weird i mean that's why the new scooby-doo movie i think they're going back to animation because it's just there's an uncanny valley sort of thing when you try to make it yeah. live action and, and the so moment has this- passed for that live action kind of adaptation the last big scale ones i can even remember are those scooby-doo ones with like yes. fucking Matthew Lillard and whoever else was in those movies. Freddie Prince Jr. maybe? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Freddie Prince, uh Sarah Michelle Gillar, Buffy, she's in right, there. Yeah. Uh, the the cast the cast is pretty solid. The cast solid, is good actually. Those movies would. are not terrible. But... Yeah, no, it, it has casting over this movie entirely. Uh, we need to movie... talk about casting so bad. Do yeah. do we just want to talk about casting now? Yeah, I mean, we got 20 minutes. We might this as well shift. This is the this is potentially the worst cast movie I've ever seen. I don't disagree. So, okay. Um, I think the best casting here, which is a low bar, is probably Barney, which is Stephen Baldwin. Oh, I hard disagree, Corey. Okay. And, and I think, not, like, we're I not going to go to bat for this because we both hate this movie. I think the worst ones, I think the worst one's Wilma with you wilma is also very bad right there was something i could kind of find mildly charming about stephen baldwin and he had the voice down in a way that felt less like what mark addy is doing with fred where he's like i'm fred flintstone and it's like fucking relax um i think the best actor of the four of them is probably jane krakowski as betty again low bar yes um i thought betty was slightly charming yeah, she has her moments, I think, in a way that most of the cast, and by most, I mean basically all, does not. And then when you get, like, Chip Rockefeller, who's supposed to be the big, hot, rich guy, um, that's not an actor I think of when I think of, like, big, hot, rich guy, you know? I don't think he mm-hmm. has the look. He has the look for, like, secretly sleazy casino owner, but I don't think he has the look for, like, hot, rich guy. I don't know. Yeah. It just didn't yeah, work. I don't, the the ma- mom. Maybe that's why like we're not was, casting agents. The mom felt like she was ripped out of like a thirties detective movie, which I know was the point, but it doesn't play well in this setting at all. And I want to try to see if we can hone in on what the fuck is wrong with the performance of Wilma. Cause there's something very wrong. <laughs> yeah, dude. I don't know. It's uh, it certainly doesn't feel like the character I remember. I think that's which- it sorry go ahead but, but it's the- but but well it's also a big problem when the character is too close to what you remember like barney mm. and fred are both clearly doing those yeah. voices They're and what too you risk cartoon. when you do yes and what you risk when you do an 
have um, something that is like so iconic is you risk it feeling like an impression. And the reason mm. that I was so bothered by Barney was because it, I felt like it was a dude doing an impression the entire time. The voice is a lot, it felt a lot more deliberate than Fred. That might just be because like Fred is just kind of talking with like a obnoxious yeah. accent, but like Barney like has to go like really low and, hey, and do this. And it's just, it's so dopey. And so, like, St- Stephen Baldwin, like, might be my least favorite actor. I've never seen him in I thought you were going to say your least favorite Baldwin. That, that might be true, too. Alec um, wins again. Yeah. Um... But yeah, Wilma, it's it's not who I remembered, but like it took me a while to realize, oh shit, like that's Wilma from the cartoon. Like mm. this isn't just some random character that looks kind of like that's going to be pushed to the side. Yeah, it feels like they dressed up an actress to look like Wilma looks, but there's something about her characterization and her demeanor, perhaps because Wilma in the cartoon had like nothing other than wife that just doesn't feel like appropriate it doesn't feel like it fits and just the way she performs it feels wrong i can't think of a better word than wrong and i know that's not helpful in like a critique to just say i think it's bad but the best i could come up with right now is i think it's bad like it's just weird i would not be surprised to learn in fact, you and I should probably start this rumor because I think it would be funny if I love this starting was just rumors. like a myth that went around in uh, the film world from now on, that this movie was filmed as a porno originally, <laughs> and then they just cut out all the sex because they realized it would like have more mainstream appeal. Yeah, you and know so what? They, they slapped out all the stuff, but then you get the stuff like the bowling scene, right. and you get like Barney rubbing the girl from uh, after she gets like pied in the face. The and one get, funny like, joke in the whole movie. Yeah, and you get Fred and Barney like saying that they need to mate with a girl, yeah. and that Wait, they're like switching oh between Wilma and Betty. It's so You're sexual. so okay. I hadn't considered all that. I want to preface that rumor with: we're not making a value judgment on the actors in this film, and we're not making an attempt to unnecessarily sexualize things that are not currently that. But Liam, you're so right. <laughs> That's what it, the yeah, movie feels yeah. like, especially when you consider the sets too. Which feel oh, yeah. which feel cheap and like they're invoking a memory of something without being the thing. Yes. And it's got this weird 2000s garishness to it that you get in shit like Spy Kids where uh-huh. it's, oh man, it really does feel like what if you cut the sex out of a porno? Wow. Yeah. That's a great way of putting it. And then it's basically that, but Alan Cumming is there and he's like clippy. Yes, yeah, that's like <laughs> he's a just special giving, he's celebrity just cameo at this point. Now. Um, and su- super strange that he's in there too. So that was the introduction of the aliens right after the Universal logo was another thing that made me think, okay, this movie isn't going to be what I expect. It made, Why me, are we it made me anxious. Like that opening, alien. that opening made me uncomfortable. <laughs> it's, it's super weird. Like you get this really um, in-your-face alien design that's like, it's kind of interesting, but it's also really thinking how are they going to combine this with the flintstones in las vegas the answer is they don't that's exactly right Corey. which really bothered me about this movie i've talked before about how i like movies that um every 10 20 minutes they play a card that you didn't know they were still holding and it's just oh shit this is what the movie is now oh they were holding this back but this but this movie doesn't do that at all it plays its one card at the beginning like alien and every other card isn't played on that card at all it's like played in another pile and also it's just the same card the, the movie over plays over. their I one think... card and they start playing fucking checkers and it's like what are we doing like it... how did we get here get them, right yeah um so yeah man i don't know like i'm looking at my notes because for some reason i opted to take notes and that feels like a mistake and um, there's just, like, nothing here that feels like a good talking point. Uh, one thing I wrote, I wrote, this movie feels like an experiment in the limits of human mental fortitude. Like, this is what happens to you when you get your eyes clockwork oranged. 
is this is what they <laughs> show you to try to like break your brain and see like how far a human can be pushed um yeah because it's not particularly offensive but it got to the point where like i literally could not sit through a scene before i got irritated and wanted to get to the next scene yeah i just um, i don't know who this movie is for dude and it tries to be like very broad appeal and i just think that that makes it a weird hodgepodge did you read the um the summary of this movie on netflix because it's i don't insane. i don't think i did but it's crazy this movie is on netflix it's even. insane especially weird. when the first one isn't because we very rarely watch movies that are on netflix so for yeah. this to be one of those that's insane so here's what it says on netflix okay are you ready yeah yabba dabba do digital dinosaurs rule the day when fred barney betty and wilma take vegas by storm in this prequel that posits their lives before marriage does that sound like the movie you watched liam does that sound no. like digital dinosaurs rule the day liam no what the fuck does that mean liam <laughs> they let's 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 clarify that they don't get to vegas this movie until 45 minutes in and it's and it's about halfway through long. the movie that's and right yes more perhaps more importantly i'm not convinced all the dinosaurs are digital no they're not i think they're, a uh, ton of it is practical there's a lot of practical but then you get you do get a bit of cgi dinosaurs which makes it feel even more lazy because it's like okay they're actually doing something with the production design they got like Hansen puppet works yeah at least the first one did. i don't know claymation. if this is jim Hansen. and like that's kind of cool but then you don't adhere to that vision at all because then you get scenes of like barney riding this dinosaur and it just looks like kangaroo jack like awful, awful. yo you know what's wild and this movie has the gall to go after jurassic park yeah. Like when you consider what those two movies are doing and how much better one of them looks than the other. And I get that they're going for different aesthetics. Nobody fucking write me angry emails, but like it's just hilarious. And um it's weird that that's even a bit because it's like so the bit is that the carnival has a sign that says like Jurassic Park is now like a ride you can go do and they're like who would want to go see dinosaurs? I have dinosaurs at my house, but it's like um yeah, then don't make the joke because it doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, it's just a reference, yeah. but like, it doesn't work as an in universe punchline. And that's basically every joke. Every joke is either a Three Stooges bit, um, something vaguely innuendo related, or just nonsense. And there's occasional sight gags. Like, there's a one sight gag I talked about earlier, which is when the guy realizes that he's getting fucked around. He's not going to be able to, like, marry his way into this fortune to pay his mob debts. And um, he slides this painting out of the way, and there's just a big switch on his wall that is set to win. And then he flips it to lose. And then Fred loses all of his money in the casino because he owns it. And I guess he can just control that with a big switch. And it's like that kind of joke at least works in the movie that you've built. But, like, the referential humor doesn't. It's the same kind of dissonance you get when they just play music from the 90s. And it's like, mm. what are we doing? Like, how did this happen? I can't remember the names of the songs that are in the movie right now. But um, it's very jarring when the music plays. And you're like, there's, like, a montage and they're, like, water skiing. And it's set to, like whatever the yeah, song there was the is new, the new radical song was in here that's like yeah you got the music in you do, yeah. do, do, terrible do, 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 do. oh speaking of the music <laughs> <laughs> speaking of the music liam i have to tell you something very important before we run out okay. of time do you remember santa claus 3 the escape clause of course you do how could you forget um yeah do you remember the mom in that movie uh remember how i thought it was funny how it was played by a woman whose professional name is just Anne margaret yeah. So Anne Margaret sings the theme song to this movie. Oh, the Viva Rock Vegas yeah, one. That's her. Oh, dude, when that came on, I was like, I Who skipped did to the next scene. to hold hostage to do this. This is absolutely ridiculous. I skipped to the next scene like instantly. Anytime that song played, I was just like, I'm not doing that. Um, mm. I also skipped whatever uh, Mick Jagged sings at the end. I just didn't even listen to it. I knew the movie was over, and I just left yeah um i don't remember how that song went uh can we talk about the best performance in this movie 
Yeah. It's John Cho as the valet guy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. He's great. He's he's still looking good. He has like this funny blank expression. Liam, after... Liam, Liam Kristen Stewart's yeah. in this movie. <laughs> what? Uh, she plays Ring Toss Girl. Oh, so yeah. So at the carnival, there's a girl playing Ring Toss, and apparently yeah. it's Kristen Stewart. And I feel like you needed to know that. Yeah. Well, she wasn't bad. She wasn't bad in this movie. Second best performance. <laughs> Yeah, second best. Corey, how did you think they were going to get to Vegas? Were you thinking about this movie? Um, how did I think, like, what did I think the narrative reason was going to be, or what was their transport going to be like? Yeah, did you to wander, or even before, were you thinking, what does Vegas have to do with this? Because like we said, 45 minutes in, we still haven't gotten to Vegas. So I was thinking, why is this movie called fever rock vegas for a movie honest, called fever rock vegas there's not i, I didn't vegas. i didn't care and i was ready for the movie to just explain it anyway i didn't really think about it only because if it was implying that they were meeting i thought it might be some kind of like out on the town party shit but i certainly didn't expect them to fly there in a plane to be honest i kind of expected them to be there already and then like move to the suburbs at the end which is bedrock i don't really know though and that sounds better to me yeah it does but we're all out of time so uh that's us on the flintstones in viva rock vegas um the only thing we'll do outside of that time crunch is a quick recommendation uh don't see it don't even think about it eject yeah, these no, memories from your brain the second this movie's over you're better off watching stephen baldwin's christian themed skateboarding video his what can we talk about that now excuse me his christian themed skateboarding video produced by stephen baldwin in 2006 check um, it out Corey. is this it's, is this a movie wild. is this gonna be on his wikipedia page movie. is this jesse stone night passage that doesn't ring a bell is this maybe. the snake king is this no. earth storm or dark storm because those were the movies he did in 2006 no no go back a few years maybe we, we might be pre-2006 here zebra lounge he plays uh -uh. Jack Bauer in that. Is he playing the guy from 24, do we think? Or is it a different Jack Bauer? <laughs> um, it's, I'm not going to find it. It Wait, wait, that was television. Wait, film, film, film. Was it, was it The Genius Club or Midnight Clear? I don't think it was you know either what? of those. I'm just going to Google it. Sorry, this feels like... Oh, it's, it's right here, dude. 2004, living it. It's at the very top 2004. of Wikipedia. Was it? I just didn't read it. That's all. Yeah, um, Christian-themed skateboarding film, 45 minutes long, directed by Stephen Baldwin. Um, is there a reason he did that? Yeah, because he, he wanted find to combine God? skateboarding footage with what Baldwin calls a real message about life. <laughs> so also um, on the Wikipedia. Page. So, do you think this was done like in association with Thrasher? <laughs> um, <laughs> no, it does. It looks like Thrasher dissociated themselves from. Uh, I don't know any of these skateboarders in this movie. Oh, okay. can you name I don't know some? If it was uh, Luke Braddock, Tim Byrne, Anthony Carney. All these people Judd sound held. All these people sound made up. Yeah, I don't know what the, I don't know what they're trying to do here, but um, uh, it has a ten star review on us. Yeah, that ten star review is probably from Stephen Baldwin or Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the two options. So Liam, we've never done this before. This is uncharted territory. Um, we can talk about whatever we want now. We've done our due diligence um, in terms of movie discussion, but we continue to do our due diligence as entertainers. So what do we want to talk about? Well, hey, I uh, I got some cool chocolate for Easter. Ooh, hit me. Yeah, so we uh, we got a bunch of lint chocolate. Ooh. They're not eggs, but they're like those circular ball things. And they are from a lint store that is also here in this city in Ottawa. So there were so many flavors. Is the store that open I had still? Are they breaking never protocol? Even imagined. Are we narking on lint? No. No. <laughs> so my, my girlfriend's mom, whose house I'm staying at, she went out about two months ago because she predicted that the pandemic was going to kill Easter. Jesus is dead. And so she went out and bought a bunch of lint chocolate in preparation. Okay. And how does it and taste? so... Dude, so there are so many cool ones. There's like, there's an orange flavored one. I don't know how you feel about orange. I've always thought, shit. I've always thought like the Terry's chocolate orange was like an affront to man and God. An affront as in like bad? Uh-huh. I just don't like the theory of it. I don't like the implication of combining those flavors. Have you tried it? Um, yeah, like once. And I was probably a kid, so I was probably being shitty about it. So I don't have a, right. I don't have a contemporary opinion. 
Well, hey, let's go here. How do you feel about the combination of mint and chocolate? I don't Is like that it. also on a front? If I wanted to brush my teeth, I just brush my teeth, dog. <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel a, sim- a very similar way. I've always been against mint and chocolate. In the last year or so, I will admit it's grown on me. And I have yet to try mint chocolate chip ice cream, which I always thought was disgusting as a kid. That just feels so like that'll a thing be the final put, frontier. That just feels like a thing they put in TV shows. I, like I was convinced that mint chocolate chip ice cream didn't exist for real because it was like a cartoon thing. Like yes, yeah, I felt that, that way. That flavor combination sounds so wild to me that it's like no, only the weekenders eat this. Like no, totally. <laughs> Same thing with unfrosted pop tarts. Like I thought that was just a punchline in like American TV, but then you start talking to people and you actually realize that people love this. Sh- yeah. Oh, I have an Easter chocolate. Cream. I have an Easter chocolate yeah, story. So uh, my mom got me a little bit of stuff the little bag of like uh those like cadbury mini eggs which are kind of a staple but then she said that she found a kind of chocolate that she used to get when she was younger um and it's like a chocolate bunny right uh called mr solid oh yeah oh yeah why is it called mr solid are you telling me that it's a hollow bunny no, I haven't opened it yet, but I just don't like that name. That name makes me uncomfortable. Oh, it's it's called Mr. Solid because it's a solid piece of chocolate. I mean, I it's know not that, hollow. Liam. I get it. But Mr. Solid just like makes you uncomfortable? Yeah, just broadly speaking, I don't like that <laughs> name. <laughs> Is that going to keep you from eating it? It's unforeseen. Maybe. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> what if I just left it in that box and let it go bad out of spite for its bad name? Yeah, if you have if you have orange in you, or if you are solid and prefer to be called Mister, Corey wants nothing to do with you. And that's true of people too. If you're orange flavored or um a hundred percent solid, get out of here. You know what I dig on Easter that holes. Fortunately, <laughs> fortunately does not have a disgusting name. Is similar to the Mister Solid, but it has Rice Krispies in it, and it's called like. Mr. Crispy. Ooh, uh, that's fine. Oh, also, real quick, you cut out a little bit periodically during the 20 minutes, but in the spirit of keeping it 20 minutes, I never stopped you, and people probably didn't miss much. It sounded fine. It was all in service of the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, which is basically like you showed it into a hole in the ground and then filled it. <laughs> I mean, we got, we had to celebrate special for uh, the 20th anniversary with a big day. discussion of Crispy. All the cons are canceled, so somebody had to talk about it. We need to get the cast yeah. back together on Zoom because we live in digital hell now. Yeah, they need to do some sort of panel. It yeah. probably wouldn't be that difficult to get these guys. The main cast from the other Flintstones movie would be a bit harder, but this one... You yeah, pull you'd, off. you'd have to find like schedules that fit John Goodman and Rick Moranis and whoever else was in that movie. Yeah. I don't remember anybody Kyle else. McLaughlin. Oh, He's right, Halle Berry. Who plays Wilma yeah. and Betty? Uh, Rosie O'Donnell is Betty. I don't Wait, remember Rosie who O'Donnell's Wilma is. in the sequel, though. Yeah, but she's just like a voice of an octopus. Well, then I misspoke earlier because I said nobody came back. Rosie came back. <laughs> Rosie needed that fucking paycheck. I guess so. It might have been an uncredited appearance. It's though. not Maybe uncredited. It was just discovered by it's the... credited. Did they they credited her? Yeah. Oh, that's weird. I don't know, man. Damn. I, I think so. Now I'm Did not she sure. Demand that I wonder. That's so strange. I don't know, man. So, like, this mm. is not a movie of, like, refinement. Yeah, I guarantee you, you can, like, look up Flintstones porn parody on porn. And it will be better and, like, get, than this movie. With, dare with I say. Dare I say. Yeah. Because it'll, like, it'll it'll be more subtle, right? Like, it's, they're trying so hard you know to how do the Flintstones insane, thing. Do you know how insane it is that we're saying that if you go try to watch the porn parody, it will be more subtle? That's crazy. It, the implication of that is crazy. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, but we can't talk about it anymore. We're breaking our own rules. Um, oh, yeah, good and point. We, well, we were talking about Easter, but I feel like, you know, you kind of get chocolate, and then, like, that's kind of all Easter is, unless you believe that Jesus did his thing, which, um, you know, if you do, that's great, and I'm happy for you, but I'm not convinced. So, um, let's talk about, I don't know, I've been reading, I've been reading some good, a good manga recently. Um, I've been reading Mobile Suit Gundam, The Origin. That shit's good as hell. Um, so basically what that is, is there was like an anime for Gundam in 1979. Uh, and it's bad and hard to watch now because it hasn't aged well. But there's this manga version of it. And um, it's real fucking good. And I had bought 
a physical copy of the first volume, but uh, I can't buy any more because uh, the world ended. So I've been reading it just like online, and um, I'm having a real good time getting to know these characters and seeing big robots fight. What is a mobile suit Gundam? Okay, um, I may not be the best person to answer this question because there's a shit ton of Gundam stuff and I have seen a very small sliver of it. So the first thing I watched is something called Mobile Suit Gundam, the 08th MS team, which is basically what if the Vietnam War had giant cool robots in it? And that's a very reductive way of describing it, but for the sake of time, that's what I'm going to say. And I just watched something called um, Mobile Suit Gundam like 0080, which is the year um, War in the Pocket, which is basically... Um, let's watch a kid lose all of his innocence and realize that war is bad and also violence. So those are two like mini series basically for the sake of easy description, but in universe. So there's like earth and there's like space colonies above earth. And, um, there was a group of people called the, the principality of Zeon and they seceded from earth or they seceded from the colonies in space i forget the specific distinction but there is a discrepancy between like if you're from space i believe the term is space noid and that's just the actual term and then there's federation forces which also have control in space and on earth and they're in a war so you have like xeon forces and federation forces and they all have things called mobile suits um and mobile suits are basically big robot suits that a pilot gets inside and they can move around and they're like humanoid, but they've got like guns and stuff basically. And, um, so the highest end mobile suit on either side for the Xeon, it's called a Zaku. And like the big bad of this sort of story pits is, um, named Char Aznabel. And, um, he pilots a, a Zaku called the red comet. And basically his whole deal is he's uh, hot, cool, and better than everybody. And uh, his robot can go really fast and he's an extremely good pilot. And then on the Earth side, we have um, a new prototype, which is a white mobile suit, which they're calling a Gundam, which is the RX-78. And it ends up being piloted by a soldier who actually isn't a soldier at all. He's actually just a teenager and his name is Amuro Ray. And his dad, I believe, is one of the people who helped design the Gundam. And he gets sort of, like, forced into it because while he's on his, like, colony, uh, they get attacked by the Xeon forces when there was supposed to be, like, a treaty in this all this shit. And um, so what you're sort of going through is this sort of ongoing saga that develops, ultimately, I guess, between Amuro and Char. And how that sort of ripples and then, like, the people in their lives and all that. And um, the other wrinkle here... And I realized that I'm answering questions you didn't ask, but I figured there might be follow-up questions, so I would just kind of go for it. Is that there are people in the Gundam world that exist that are called new types, and basically they're like weird. It's weird because they're like psychics, kind of, or they can like see things before they happen or like see the future, and basically they have these mental powers that make them really fucking good pilots. So Amuro is a new type. And I believe Char is also a new type. So they can like have these cool wild fights where um, they are able to like predict moves and stuff. And they're just very good at what they do. Um, but then there is a lot of like sort of emotional strife going on and like war being terrible and Amuro being thrust into it and trying to work through that. I'm fairly early in the manga, but these are themes that prevail in other series too. And um yeah, just getting to know these characters and getting to know this world's been real cool. And I guess that is my long-winded answer to what Mobile Suit Gundam means. Holy shit. It's cool, right? So, well, the rest of the world is watching Tiger King. You're going hard on... I've been reading uh, I've been reading Gundam, and I've also been watching Gundam, so... Holy moly, way to be productive, man. I feel like I should have been taking notes. Anime and manga Well, even then, A, A, I've scratched the surface. B, some of that might even not be 100% accurate. So, like, follow those instructions at your own risk. But if you're looking to get into Gundam, I highly recommend watching the 08th MS team because the scope is a lot smaller and it's a lot more grounded than how Gundam can get moving forward. 
Um, it's also a little bit more recent. In a lot of cases with like anime and manga, it doesn't always age super great. Um, Gundam has its fair share of that. Uh, but it's still really cool. I also bought some new Gundam model kits recently, so I'm looking forward to building those because the store in our town does contactless pickup. So I bought a bunch of kits for me and my other friend Liam, and he put he came out and put them in the trunk of my car. And I just got to drive away with new Gundam models. Wicked. Well, you're dealing with the quarantine well, man. That sounds awesome. I'm doing the that best I really, can. It's really exciting yeah. that uh, you can just dive into during this time. Yeah, I've been doing the best I can when I have like time away from work, which has been like a little bit hard to come by because work's been really tiring. But um, I'm making it work. So uh, to not leave you outdone, is there anything you want to rant wildly about if I were to ask a single question about it? Because I feel like I kind of took over there for a second. <laughs> Feel free to gush about something you think is cool. Mm. Dude, I don't know if any... I don't think I have anything. You I'm, love I'm still things. Trying to, Fuck you. You absolutely love things. I'm still trying to get over everything you gave me about Gundam. I can't just brush over that. That's all that's on my mind. <laughs> that's yeah. true. You're right. Um, I want to give a quick shout out to that friend, Liam, because he keeps telling me to watch uh, Mobile Suit Gundam uh, The Unicorn series. There's one called Unicorn uh it's on netflix and i haven't done it yet this is my promise to you to a live audience that i am eventually going to do that that's a trick because now he has to listen to this episode you got him <laughs> i got you bitch <laughs> except unfortunately this is the first episode where we said specifically when we're going to stop talking about the movie so he can skip all the flintstone shit we can't even we can't even trick him into listening to our thoughts about flintstone ah oh, fuck well i mean are we getting too honest if I say, is he going to miss anything if he misses out on Flintstones discussion? Because I think what we said is good, but is the movie that interesting? We, we... we haven't even put this episode out yet, <laughs> and we're already shooting. No, no, no. Here's the thing. We did a good job. The movie did a bad job. So all I'm saying is, I think people aren't missing anything by not knowing more about a bad movie just because it came from us. But... I encourage people who listen to this far to feel good about the fact that they heard the first part. Yeah, and if you have any thoughts about that first part... Send us an email or a tweet. I'll go into it. Yeah, there's still stuff that can be said about Flintstones. It's just, uh, we, we might need some, uh, some prompts. Is this episode starting to get away from us? <laughs> I'm pretty much spent. <laughs> okay, so do you want to just wrap after our Gundam discussion? Yeah, I'm down. All right, fuck it. We're done here. Thank you once again for listening to another episode. This is so dumb. Of They Made Another One? Uh, you can find us all over the internet on Twitter at They Made Another, all one word, and on Letterboxd at TMAO. You can find episodes of the show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, and everything else as They Made Another One. You can reach us via email at tmaopodcast at gmail.com with recommendations for future episodes, questions, comments, extra thoughts about the Flintstones in Viva Rock Vegas, or questions about Gundam that I probably can't answer. Liam, where can people find you? You guys can find my film writing alter ego, Graham the Haunted Marco, on Twitter and Letterboxd. My username is Graham the Malo. And uh, you can catch me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mr. Corey Price. Um, and this was fun. This was a weird one, uh, but I think it was the best way to tackle the subject matter. Happy 20th anniversary. Happy 20th anniversary. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you here next time for more. They made another one. <laughs>